Thank you for tuning in to the True Grit and Grace podcast. I'm Amberly Lago, and I'll be sharing inspirational stories of resilience and empowering ideas to elevate your business and your life, ignite your passion, and fuel your purpose. Hey guys, welcome back to True Grit and Grace. I'm Amberly. And I have been so excited about today's guest. He is a good friend of mine. I met at um, Secret Knock, Greg Reed's event, and I was taking notes as he was speaking. So I'm going to tell you right now, go grab a notepad and a pen, because every time I talk to Chris Noggle, I take notes. He is so wise. He is a pro snowboarder turned America's number one money mentor. Um, he's got, I don't know, five or six books. Was it six books now, Chris? I'm working on my sixth now. Yes. Six books. Okay. That's amazing. A podcast. He has, um, built and owned 19 companies, maybe even more by now. I don't know. He's featured in Forbes, ABC, House Hunters, host of HGTV Risky Builders. I want to talk about that too. And so I am so grateful to have you here, Chris. Thank you so much for being on the show, especially with what's going on in the world today with people's money. That's an honor and a privilege. Happy to be here. Well, thank you. Yeah, I met you at Secret Knock and I was like, oh my gosh, I have got a lot to learn. Um, I think that I grew up with, you know, this thinking of, uh, save money, put money in the bank, save money, save money. And you're like, success is not built by the resources you have, but by how resourceful you are. Love that. Yes. And, and let's talk about that. Like, what can we do right now? First of all, I want to ask you about the recession. What do you think about the recession? Are we in it? Is it going to get worse? And I'm not saying that to scare people, but I want people to actually be able to become wealthy, even though there's a recession. Do you think that's possible? Well, I know it's possible. That, I mean, the recessionary periods, like we're, we're, we are in a recession, technically speaking, by technical measures. Don't listen to what they say in DC about changing the rules of what recession. We are in one. The only reason it doesn't feel like a recession is because unemployment numbers or you know, they're very low and, and they're very low because we came out of the pandemic, you know, where nobody was working and then everything, it's like a light switch flipped on and people weren't wanting to go to work. So there was this lagging effect that happened. And, and you know, if you follow any real good economists, they'll all tell you exactly that we're definitely in a recession and we're going much, much deeper. This could be by what I see and by what I study, and, and it's just boring, dry stuff, so I won't get into any of that. This could be one of the worst recessions we've ever had. This could be potentially the next great recession. And uh, a lot is being written in the in the history books every single day right now by the actions of what the Fed are doing and not so much the government. The government makes mostly mistakes on what they're doing. But if you watch the Fed's actions, that tells the story. And if you watch the signs of different indicators that have been around for gosh 70 plus years then you can see where we're headed and yeah so you you were saying you know you don't want to scare your audience i mean your audience should be scared but they should they they should understand that that fear of knowing where we're going should prompt them to take action and really get ready because for people like me and the, you know my students and everybody that we teach like 
they're not scared. They're actually excited in a roundabout way, excited. I mean, nobody's excited about a recession, but when a recession happens, remember, it's a deflationary period. Deflationary means you know, we've been in inflationary, which means price of everything goes up. I mean, just look around. Cars cost oh, more, crazy. houses cost more. Just eggs. the housing. Just the housing. It is yeah. crazy. But very quickly, and actually right now it's already happening in, in some sectors, the price of things are actually going down. And that's called deflation. We will enter a deflationary period. God forbid we go stagflation, which there's a lot of people saying we will, which is where you know the price of things are going down, but yet inflation is still going up. And there's a lot of fear of that. But right now, the biggest thing to look at is you know when when Warren Buffett says be fearful when others are greedy, he was referring to the cycle that we just came out of, where everybody was greedy, everybody was making money. It was the longest bull run in history, and and good, you know, everybody got to make money. But the wealth game, as you described earlier, is not about making money or getting you know this deal or that deal and making money on them. It's about keeping the money. And I think that's where people fail. They they are all pretty good at making money right now. I mean, your whole audience, I mean, I'm sure they're all very good at making money and I'm sure they make great money, but it's not what you make, it's what you keep that matters. And that is the difference between rich and wealthy. Wealthy individuals have found out how not to give the money back. And that's that's one of the key fundamentals of what I teach is, is how to keep wealth and how to build wealth without ever having to lose it again. Because that's the worst thing, riding the vicious cycle that's the hardest thing to ever overcome. But if you just stop being in a rush to get rich, you take a pause and you take a step back and you just look at everything that's going on. Like this is the coolest environment ever in my lifetime. And I'm 45 that I can see to make money because there's opportunities everywhere. But you kind of look at it like you would a nice pasture of beautiful flowers. You just take it all in and you just observe it and you love it. You don't go out there and start cutting all the roses down, being like, oh, I got I to gotta take these and I got to hurry up and I got to sell them. Oh my God, I'm missing out if I don't sell these. Yeah. They're going to be dead soon. If you just take in the beauty of the situation, you just pause. Do absolutely, you know, in terms of investing, I would tell people the smartest thing you can do right now is forget about investing. Uh, really? And, and there's a lot of, in the general sense, don't think that you right now is the time to buy stocks or funds or put more money into a 401k or try to get ahead by buying a house and making money on a, a flip or on real estate. I mean, and, and there's hidden pockets and all this, but right now for the average person, the best thing they can do is just, just take it in and just don't do anything right now because the opportunities will come to you, but you got to be ready for them. You got to have the money ready on the sidelines. You got to be positioned in the right places and have your money in the right places so that when these opportunities do happen, I mean, right now, like, let's just think about it. You're in Texas. What if the the price of housing dropped another twenty percent from where it is now? You know that would be a big opportunity, right? To be able to buy housing. Yeah. But but what if banks weren't lending because you're in a recession and they don't want to lend? And what if you know you don't have the money sitting on the sidelines ready to buy those houses? Well, that see, I'm glad you brought this up because when we moved out here, when I talked to you last time, we had just moved into a rental house and we were trying to find a house. Now, for us, we're not really interested in flipping. We just want a, a cozy place to live that's near our daughter's school. It's a great school. Um, but first, we bought land. And then it went nutty. Like construction, the loans, the interest rate started going up and up and up. And so they're like, okay, uh, yeah, it's going to 
your lumber, the cost of lumber is going up. Your interest rate for a construction loan has gone up. And we were, I was just like, let's sell this land and just get a house. Cause this seems like the biggest headache to me. We sold it at just the right time before all of the property, like land started going down, down, down. So we got out just in time. We found this house and because we were pre-approved, because we already had money to put down, we were able to get it. There were several other offers. We were ready to go. We were ready to buy. So we got in, but it's crazy when we first moved here a year ago, houses that were like 1.2 million are now 800,000. Like they dropped Mm -hmm. down that much. It's so crazy. And then, you know, in Los Angeles, we still have our house in LA that we rent. Um, But I don't understand the property there. Like how our property has not gone down. What do you think that's about? How is it that so many people have moved out of LA, but our property value keeps going up? It's incredible. So when you really think about that, it's a very easy thing, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you the, the real answer. Real estate is a lagging indicator. So Yes, in Texas, certain pockets you're going to see pricing going down. You'd mentioned land. Land usually goes down because it doesn't actually have a physical dwelling on it. But because real estate's a lagging indicator, as everything's going down, some markets don't feel that impact. They'll feel it very quickly. California is notorious for this. I mean, during the, the Great Recession, I mean, California fell massively. You just haven't seen that in California right now because as people are moving out, there's still demand. So it but really the demand in in housing in California, like LA especially, I mean like a a million dollar house is is a run-in-the-mill house, I would I would assume. I mean from what I know. So the first time home buyers or the the place where the demand is, the millennials, they can still afford to buy that house on their income even at the higher interest rate. But if we keep going higher in interest rates, that's going to slow that down. And you're already seeing that. You just have not seen it hit certain markets. Um, you know, I think California is in for a doozy of you a drop. So. It just has not happened yet. And it will. It, oh, it will. California will so. probably be hit one of the hardest in the nation. Wow. That's wild. Well, our renters are famous YouTubers that make a lot of money. They're doing great staying in the house. I want them to just stay there and take care of it. They signed a long contract. I'm like, yes, That's good. You well, there. YouTubers probably will be good. Those are good tenants because that income will continue as long as they produce content. Yeah. Yeah. And they really take care of the house. So I'm like, yep, we got so lucky that we have good tenants because I used to be a landlord years ago when my husband and I first met. And I have to say, I don't really enjoy it. Some people own huge apartment buildings and they're fine doing that. I'm like, I don't like being a landlord. So I feel blessed that I have good tenants. Um, But I want to talk about something that I know everybody's going to grab their pen and paper. You have six laws of wealth that you say, if you do these six things, then you're going to become wealthy. Can you, yes. do you mind going over those? Because it is so good. And when, even when you shared the first law, I've, I've stalked you a little bit well for a long time. Y'all got to follow him on Instagram, just all the videos and stuff that, and YouTube and your oh, podcast. Yeah, for sure, YouTube. YouTube. I, I tell you, Chris, you have like 
I mean, you were always big, but I feel like you've just blown up. You're everywhere. It's taken a lot of work, you know, and it, it's kind of like that whole thing, you know, like people think you just have instant stardom. I've been at this for a decade now. I've been creating content for a decade. I've been putting YouTube videos up for a long time. It's just now that they're starting to, you know, you hit that hockey stick. So, you know, I, I'm I'm everywhere now, but I've, I've been at this for the better part of a, a decade with content and uh, it's just now starting to get noticed. And, and I, I always say, you know, there's a right and a wrong time. And, you know, a lot of the the people would ignore what I teach because I don't teach get rich quick. I don't teach, you know, I teach one thing and that is wealth as a marathon, but I teach how to get wealthy and stay wealthy in very simple terms. But when everything was doing really well, the stock market's booming, real estate's booming, everybody's, you know, making a bunch of money, getting rich is what I always like to call it in Bitcoin and crypto space. You know, what I did was just boring. But now that everything is, you know, deflating and Bitcoin and crypto is obviously, you know, most people lost all just about everything unless they get oh in early. Oh my gosh, look at Tom Brady. Did you hear oh, how I much he- uh, I don't know how much he lost, but I know there's a lot of names like Brady that just lost significant amounts of money taking unnecessary risks. I mean, that FTX thing, I mean, come on, that's crazy. A lot of people just got caught up in that. Yeah, well, I want, did you do the bit? I never got into that so, NFT and the Bitcoin. I never did. And Well, that's good. And I know <laughs> a lot of people that were, and a lot of people that were trying to talk me into it. And I was just like, nah, I just don't, I'm not into that. I, I don't, no, I don't think so. Well, let me answer that. Cause that'll tie right into the six laws of wealth. Um, the, the whole Bitcoin space intrigues me and I, I'm not somebody that just jumps at anything. I mean, I'm an ex wall street guy. I spent 16 years, you know, as a pretty high level advisor. So when I look at an investment, I fundamentally want to dissect it. I want to like the Warren Buffett model. I read reports. I want to understand the, the company and what it is. And Bitcoin was a weird one and anything in crypto because there was no fundamentals. There's no intrinsic value. So when you're really looking at Bitcoin as an investment, it's very difficult to say, okay, well, there's these are the reasons it's valued at this. The only reason any crypto had any kind of value is because of investor sentiment, is investors' confidence in what it does and the problem it solves. So then I started reading books. I read a lot, a lot of books and I study history. And I was following all, all the different things in which Bitcoin or crypto solves problems. And I understood the problem that it solved and it made a lot of sense. So what I started doing is being a trader, and, and this is not for everybody, I would I would watch Bitcoin and I, I establish support and resistance levels. So just call it a floor and a ceiling. Like look down, that's your floor. Look up, that's your ceiling. I I can tell any investment, uh, you know, any stock, any investment. I can tell you where a floor and a ceiling are in different ranges, and then I can trade that that range. So I can trade, you know, a, a Bitcoin when it hits a level, I'll buy it, and then I'll watch it. You know, just. I don't know, once a day, I look at it for five seconds. And when it gets close to the the ceiling, if you will, my target, then I sell it. And then I would buy it and I would sell it. And a lot of people are like, oh, you trigger taxation every time. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think taxation is a luxury when you make money. Now, I don't pay tax like most people. You know, I own nothing, but I control everything. You've all heard that, but I truly live that and I don't have time to get into it. So when I make money, it's not like somebody else that makes money that they instantly have to pay tax. I still have to pay tax, but I pay tax on what what I would call the my fair share as per the IRS code. Um, so I swing trade it. And that's not for most people. Here's the problem most people make. When Bitcoin was going up you and really everybody like you said- You really have to know what you're doing though. You that really, just... really do. 
Yeah. Oh, that just so, sounds so, complicated to me. I'm like, and, and this oh my is gosh. perfect. One of the laws of wealth says don't ever invest in something. And, and I'll explain the laws. Don't ever invest in something unless you know, like, and understand it. So if any of you are taking notes, let's just write this down. Okay. It's the third law of wealth. Protect your wealth is the third law of wealth. Do not invest in anything that you don't know, like, and understand that investment mm-hmm. or what it is you're putting your money into. That's it's quite simple. So in the beginning, I didn't know, I didn't like it, and I didn't understand it, so I didn't invest in it. When I started to know it, I don't know if I ever liked it, but I didn't dislike it, and I started to understand it. Then I started investing. But I also invested in Bitcoin and in, in Ethereum with money that I could afford to lose. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't lost any money in it, but I, I did it with money that tomorrow, if, if it all went to zero, my life doesn't change by what I invest, but see, here's the problem people make. They get caught up in FOMO. Okay. They get caught up in the FOMO of the moment when everybody's saying, oh my God, I, I just bought a Lamborghini. Oh my God, I'm become a millionaire. I'm, I've made $2 million on this. You know, you hear it all. They're making all this money, whether it's real or not, they did, but it's paper. And, and, and they, everybody started plowing in 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. And then at 60, the, the, you know, it popped and then it fell straight back down. It hasn't come back because it lost investor confidence. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to come back, you know, later, but when things go down is when people get scared and they sell. And when mm-hmm. things are going up are when people feel good and optimistic and, and eager and they buy. And that's the backwards model. So let's get into the laws of wealth. And, and just for full transparency, what I want to explain is these laws of wealth, you know, I, I did create them but they all were derived from a book that many of you probably have read or should read called The Richest Man in Babylon. It was written about you know the, the times of Babylon many, many thousands of years ago. And the book's all about the richest man in Babylon and how he did it. So the first law of wealth brought to today's time is very simple. Everyone in order to start beginning wealth has to start with the first law and you cannot move on until this law is done. And that first law is simple. How much money do you make? Figure that out. Here's my gross income. And the amount you need to keep, or some people call it save, I call keep, is 10%. So you must keep 10% of the income that you make, your gross. So you know some people would call this pay yourself first. So pay yourself 10% first before you pay anyone else. And anyone else is pay the banks, pay the creditors, pay the debtors, pay the expenses, the, the vendors, whatever. You must keep 10%. And if you're not doing that, then I'm sorry, but the other laws cannot apply yet. Well, when you say pay yourself, so do you think you should take that money, pay yourself and put it in a separate account? In- 100%. And we'll talk and- about what that separate account is. But and like the keep simplest- it there so you don't put it in your checking account. You don't put it in a regular savings account. You put it in an account that you don't touch that money or what do you? Well, let's let's keep it simple for your audience. So right now, like, oh, keep I want it you simple all- for me. I yeah, let's because we're going to talk <laughs> about a better place where your money can go. But let's just keep it simple. So if, if you're if you got all your money going into one checking account and that's the checking account, you buy the diapers and the groceries and pay the mortgage, then then you're you're not doing this right. Go to your bank or actually, why don't you go to another bank, like a bank that's farther away from your house, it's harder to get to. Yes. Open up a checking account there. And then from the account where all your income goes into, which is probably your regular checking account, I want you to set up an automatic transfer or an automatic bill pay, okay? Whichever works for you. And have 10% of the, your, the money you make transfer to that other checking account. Now, folks, all of you are thinking about this and you're like, well, that, that's easy. It doesn't change anything. 
Right. But it starts to train you how to apply the first law because a lot of people are are good at saving, but then they spend it all. By putting it into this new account, it segregates that money and it helps you mentally get a dopamine header every time you look at that account and it's growing where the other checking account, I mean, don't lie to me, folks, like your checking account is like the black hole. Everything that goes in it at the end of the month, there's not much left, right? Because that's how I used to be. And then if you just change it and you put it into another account, you do not get a, a debit card with this account and actually don't get checks either and try to just forget about it. But that's where the 10% goes. So now you've segregated that and now it's out of sight, out of mind, and that money is starting to build. Now we're going to talk about how to actually put it in a better place in a second. So now that you've done that, that's the first law. The second law is a little bit more complicated, but it's quite simple. It's just not something you've ever been taught to do. Mm. The second law is that all the money that you save must work for you. Now, here's the complicated part about the second law of wealth is every one of us have been taught to do one thing and one thing only our whole life, work for money, trade yeah. hours mm -hmm. for dollars, every one of us. And you know, it's funny, I just did a TEDx talk and my TEDx talk is called Rethink Money. And it was is that a letter out that yet? I is that out? Oh yet? yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's uh, you just oh, Google rethink that. money. Yeah, it's, it's called no what is deal. it called again? It's called rethink money, and then after that, just put a letter to my daughter, because my TEDx talk was a letter that I wrote to my daughter. My daughter is now almost well, she's not almost three, but she's a little over two and a half years old. And the reason I did this is because my daughter, as she gets older, she's gonna kind of get into society and be told all the lies that we were told when we were brought up and, and they are lies. And one of the things in that story is this, you will be told that the only way is to trade hours for dollars, to work for money, but that is not what you must do. Cause the second law yeah, of wealth- that's how, it, that's how I grew up where you- That's how we all grew up. Oh my nine gosh. to five jobs, yep. you work hard, work hard, and you live. You want more money, you work overtime, right? Yes, yes. I know. I know. So it's I'm backwards. sorry. I just got excited about this second no. law. Tell us what it's, it is. It's backwards. Now, I'm not saying don't go to work. You know, I'm, you're going to have to work. But if you apply the first law, you're going to start building some money. And that money, until you do something with it, is being lazy. It's mm -hmm. just sitting there. It's being lazy. That money is just not, not working to its capacity. Now, money, unlike us, has no restrictions. We have to sleep. We have to eat. You know, we, we, we get tired. You know, we get stressed. We get mentally exhausted. Money does not. Money is a tool that will work 24-7. The only thing you need to do is you need to point it in a direction. You need to tell it where to go to work how to go to work. You need to set the foundational rules for how that money is going to work for you. There isn't a wealthy individual that I've ever met. And I know so many billionaires, all of them focus 100% on this law, because this is the one that allows them to continue to do more charitable work, to continue to solve more problems, because they don't have to focus their time on hours that they're working you know, for, for dollars because yeah. their money's working for them. Now, some people would be like, yeah, but they're billionaires. They've, they've got the money. Listen, I don't care if you're just starting. After six months, 10% of your income will have grown, and that money has to go to work for you. Okay, tell and, us how and, to make it work for us. Well, we're going to, we're going to, but we still got to continue the rest of the laws. Like, see, everybody wants to jump to the final conclusion. Oh, like, hey, I know. I Pause. Like, <laughs> not Dan, you have to save 10% of the gross income you make. Then you have to then make that money go to work for you. But then we have to apply some more important things. So the third law of wealth, I already said this, but I'll repeat it. It's protect your wealth. 
The only thing you should ever invest in are things that you know, like, and understand. So why would you invest in Bitcoin if you don't understand it? You shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Why would you buy the S&P 500 or any stock if you don't understand exactly what that company does? If you don't understand the fundamentals, who runs the company? Like, you're like, oh, I don't have time for that. Great. Then why would you put your money in it? Mm-hmm. Seriously, like, why would you put your money in something you don't understand? The, the, that is some of the fundamental things that I think people always do. And, and that's what you need to stop doing. So if people would just pause and take a step back and they would think about the things that they do understand, everybody's got a profession that they're good at. Great. So if your profession you're good at, what could you invest in within that realm that you fully understand? Maybe it's a, a stock that you fully understand, but if you understand it, your chance of loss and your, your ability to protect it is so much greater because you understand the inner workings of it. So that's the third law of wealth. There's more to it, but let's just keep this simple. The fourth law of wealth is the most broken law. And every one of you listening to this, you have unfortunately violated this law. And that is do not seek unrealistic returns. Because if you seek unrealistic returns, your money will be yours no more. It'll flee you. So what do I mean by that? Well, how about all those people that threw all their money in FTX? Okay, I'm just picking on FTX. Um, did they understand what FTX did? Did they like it? Did they know how to how to do it? Was it their profession? Not at all. But why did they invest in FTX or any of the cryptos? And I, I don't mean to keep picking on cryptos. I could pick on the S&P 500. I could pick on any investment out there. The reason they did it into that was because of unrealistic expectations of a return. They thought their money was going to double. They thought they were going to triple their money. They they saw all these other people making all this money and they just jumped on board and they said, I'm going to make all this money too, until they didn't. Mm. The other thing that a lot of people fail to do that that falls into this seeking unrealistic returns and is is quite simple. If if you invest in anything, okay, there's there's always a price you should buy it at. And everybody knows, you know, buy low. Right, buy low. That's but but what is low and what is high? Most people don't understand. But when you buy something, I don't care if you buy it high or low, you should always know where you're going to exit it. So think about that. Everybody that invests in a 401k, maybe that's a bad example, but if you bought a stock today, why did you buy that stock? Or why yeah, did you I buy think that's that important. piece of real estate? So like we bought stock in Tesla because we like it, we understand it's my husband loves it. But we know when we're going to exit. We know we want there you to, go. you know, and you know and the look, price you're going to sell big, that, right? It took a big hit. We're still doing okay, but it was okay. it was doing great for a while, and then of course with stuff going on with Elon buying Twitter and all the other news, it took a big hit. But it's a marathon for us. We're in it for the long haul, and we know Good. when we're going to exit. So, so as long as you know where. Yeah. Amberly, as long as you know where you're going to exit, what your desired return is or desired price that you want to get out at, as long as you do get out then, that's all you need to do. But that's what people don't do. When they hit their price, so let's just say you buy a stock and you say, I want to make 20%. Great. When it hits 20%, what do you do? You don't sell it, do you? You're like, oh, I'm just going to wait it out until it gets 25. And then when it hits 25%, you don't sell it. And then it gets to 30, more than likely don't sell it. It's Let, let me transition this. And we're still on the fourth law of wealth. I'm sorry to go along with this, but we've all been to a casino and we all understand gambling to a roundabout way. So when you go into a casino, do you go in with a certain set of rules that you're going to gamble with? 
do you have a certain set of dollar amount you're going to gamble with? Maybe you're oh, going yeah. with uh, 500 bucks, right? 500 bucks. That's how much I'm going to gamble with. And, and you say, when I make $200 on my 500, I'm out. And when you make the 200, even if it's in the first five minutes, your first hand, you take your chips, walk them over to the cage, cash out and leave the hotel or go to your room and not get swayed to come back. I do no, because I'm not That's, a gambler. You're, you're rare. I, I am. Like, I seriously, I'm like, okay, I'm winning. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to quit while I'm on top here. And yeah, I do because maybe I just like to, um, I, but I have to set those realistic expectations or boundaries for myself and then stick to it. Um, and that's, that's how I've always been. So yeah, mm -hmm. but I'm not a big gambler either. So you are so rare. Yeah. I don't gamble at all. So like some of this stuff is just funny for me to watch, but people don't, you, you hear stories all the time. They go in there and they might have that idea in their head. Oh, honey, when, when we're up a hundred bucks, we're leaving. And then they get up hundred. Oh, we're on a hot streak. We're going to keep going. And they leave with zero. Yeah. Or maybe they even leave in debt. Like that is how people invest their money. It's no different. It's the same mental like capacity. It's the same like idea. When you invest your money, why wouldn't you just take your profits off the table and leave? Warren Buffett says it best. To make money in investing, you buy low, you sell high, sell high, and you can't lose money. But people don't sell. They, they're very good at buying low, but they don't sell. And when you don't sell, you don't realize the gain and you don't lock it in. People are always like, oh, I didn't want to sell because I didn't want to pay the taxes. Great. I got a solution for you. Don't ever don't sell until your stock goes down below the price you bought it and then sell it. And then you got yourself a tax loss. Mm -hmm. Then you can go and brag to all your friends. See, I didn't have to pay any taxes on my my investments. That's right, because you have a loss. Congratulations. But that's like, think about that. There's only two sides. You either make and you pay taxes or find a better way to handle your taxes, or you lose money and you brag that you lost money and you now have a tax write-off. There's there's only two ways. So that's the fourth law of wealth. Do not seek unrealistic returns. The fifth law is very simple. We all should live by this and you've all read books. It is the idea of giving. The fifth law of wealth says you must give unconditionally, mm -hmm. which means no matter what, no matter what your income is, no matter how hard your life is, you got to give first. And you've heard this throughout your life. So I'm not going to repeat all the people that have said this. I mean, the Bible talks about this over and over. You have to give. And if you give, you shall get. But if you give with the intent to get, you'll never, ever succeed. This single law all in it of itself could probably be a standalone, the fifth law. But just give yeah. unconditionally. And that goes to not just your money, but that goes with everything. People ask me, all the time, like, wow, how do you get these amazing people on your podcast? How do you get these speakers to come speak at your mastermind? And it's because over the years building these relationships, I've given without anything other than I wanted to, to give, but it does, it comes back to you. It's like, it's like magic. It's amazing. I agree. And, and it, it is one of the most powerful things. We all understand it, but very rarely apply it. And, and the other thing too, let me just say one additional thing on giving. A lot of people are like, well, I live paycheck to paycheck. I have nothing to give. You have everything to give. Giving doesn't have to be money, folks. Mm -hmm. You know, money is actually just a tool. And we always think of giving and we think of dollars, but giving your time is far more valuable because your time, it, whether you know it or not, folks, is the most valuable 
thing that you have. And it is the one and only thing you will never get back. Mm-hmm. You know, money, you can make more money, but you can never make more time. So when you give your time, like Amber Lee, like you just mentioned, that's the most valuable thing you can give. And mm-hmm. sometimes giving doesn't have to take a lot of your time. We all have met people that are down in their luck. You know, our friend Kelly Cardenas talks a lot about we when you meet somebody, you're never going to get the true story face to face. You know, like they're going to just put that that wall up like they're always going to act like everything's good. But you don't know if they're hanging on by a pinky. Maybe all that person needs is just a compliment. Maybe they just need to smile and laugh, like telling a joke or just making them feel good or just say, hey, listen, you know, I. I just wanted to let you know how much I really appreciate you and everything you did. You know, remember back when you did this, that was, that meant so much to me. That might just get that person to reach up with one more finger and, and you never know what tomorrow holds for them. But just think about giving as a smile. Think about giving as all the things that are non-monetary. And then when you get to the point where you have the money, give, great, pair that up with the smile. Be like, hey, listen, you know, do you have a charity that you really believe in? I'd, I'd really like to help. I'd really like to do this. You can give money or time. In, in that's the, so the that's so amazing. Like honestly, I had a friend of mine send me a video this morning. Now, this was maybe a one-minute video. She was like, I just want to say that I'm thinking of you and I've been thinking of you so much that I actually had a dream about you. And we were driving in a truck on our way to go take a dance class. And she goes, I know you're doing an event soon. And I just want to say you're amazing and just went on and on about like compliments and stuff. It made me cry. (laughs) I was crying. It was so sweet. And that took like a minute for her to really change my whole day. And so I love that idea of, yeah, if you can give money, give money, but if you can give time, a compliment, what the world would be such a better place. If that's one thing I really love about living here in Texas everybody's so nice. I know. Texas is so great. I live in New York and it's the opposite, but who's keeping track, I guess. I hate Yeah. Well, you can come visit here. Like, in fact, I was trying to pull out of a parking lot this morning, taking my daughter to school and somebody just let me in right away. And I was like, oh, thanks. And I was waving and I was like, that would never happen in California or maybe not never, but that rarely happens that people are like, oh, of course, come on in. (laughs) A lot of, let me counter that though. I disagree. No matter how, you know, in California, yeah, people are definitely very unique and same thing in New York. But a lot of times the reason you get that front row parking spot or something good like that happens, or you're in line and somebody pays for your coffee, like it's not because of the nice people. It's because something you might've done a year ago, five years ago, it's just coming back to you. And when you give, that's exactly what happens. Like weird things happen and they're just that, that the universe giving you back that front row parking spot that that person let you in. That was just gratitude for all the times you've given in the past Mm. that you never expected anything. That person just somehow knew that they were, they were to help you out there. I mean, that's all that is. And you know, well, thank you. You know what feels so good that I've done this before and it just makes you feel so good is pay for the people behind you, pay for their food. Like, yeah, sometimes we go to fast food. Okay. I got it. When we first lived here too, we were living in a hotel for a little while and just being in the line and paying or even at Starbucks and and paying for someone like say, I want to get their food behind me. Couldn't believe this one time I did that. And this guy came up to me, he pulled up, we had parked 
And he pulled up beside us and he was in tears of gratitude saying, thank you so much for getting my food. And it didn't cost us a lot of money, but it made somebody's day, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's just, those are just those little acts, those little acts of kindness as we call it, but it's really just acts of giving that make up everything. And, and you know, just to get to the sixth law, just to kind of get onto another thing, the sixth law really plays into all the other five laws. It's create a legacy. But the problem is, is in today's world, when we think of legacy, we always think of, oh, what am I going to leave to my kids? You know, they're going to get the house. Oh, they're going to get the cars. They're going to get the money in the bank and they're going to get my 401k. That is the wrong attitude toward legacy. So when I wrote, when I did this letter to my daughter, it had nothing like, I think when parents give their kids money and they just keep giving and giving, I think you're literally, you're, you're hurting your children. Yeah, I really do. I think you are not setting them up to be prepared for any of these laws mm -hmm. because you're setting them up to just think that everything is just handed to them. And when you teach them like how to actually go out there and, and do the things and actually apply these laws or what, whatever it is that you want to call them, then and learn the principles and then they can then duplicate those principles and then they're prepared. But creating a legacy is, is as simple as just sometimes just what, what do you think of a legacy? Don't think about material things. Sure. It's great to pass on money and you could more efficiently with a different way, but think about when, when you've been to a funeral or a wake, what was it that you remembered about that person? Was it how much money they had in the bank? Was it the Ferrari or the Porsche that they drove? Was it the house that they lived in? No. Only thing that comes through your mind is how they treated you and other people were the memories that they created by the things that they did to give. So again, remember that fifth law of wealth, the fifth law creates the sixth law. If you give, you create the legacy because people remember you long after you're gone. People will remember you decades after you're gone because of the simple kindness that you gave to people because you loved others. Like, I don't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but like everybody thought that this was all going to be about money. And I'd got news for you. Everything I just told you was about wealth and money. But when you monetize wealth by the dollars in the sense that we think of this stuff, like you're missing out on the whole picture because you could have billions of dollars and be the most miserable person. We all know miserable, wealthy people, but happy, wealthy people are, are the people that give more and do more and, and go out there and solve more problems for people. So the six laws are very simple, but if you don't apply them, in your life, you're not gonna you're not gonna have wealth. You're not gonna have money to do things. And don't take this the wrong way. And I say this, you know, with the, the nicest way. But I've never met a poor person putting wings on a church, like. And I don't mean that ill willed. But like, think about that. If if somebody ever says to me, "When's enough enough? When are you gonna have enough money?" My answer is always the same: never, because there will never ever be people that don't need my help. There will people that don't need their problem solved. And this stupid thing that you you know look at as bad, this thing that you say, oh, when's enough enough? There will always be people that need me to use this tool to help them and solve their problem. And when you change the way you look at money, money just flies at you. Oh, and, and, and listen, it's like- It's so true. I, You <laughs> know what? I had to shift the way that I looked at money because I wasn't motivated by money. I don't need designer purse. Like I, I don't, I was never like, Oh, I need that designer purse and I need that, you know, Ferrari or whatever. I do like nice things. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't real motivated 
by, by money until I switched how I thought. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If I make more money, then I can make a bigger impact. If I make more money, then I can hire somebody to help me with the graphics and the technology and producing the podcast. And I can make a bigger impact. If I make more money, I can go out there and help more charities or help more nonprofits or whatever it may be. And as soon as I switched that thinking, I was like, oh yeah, bring it on, (laughs) bring it on. I love that. That is so true. And, you know, I'll give you an example just recently, you know, and, and I do, you know, I am fortunate enough to, to make a lot of money, but I give a lot of it away. And a lot of it, I just put back in. I, I'm like you, yes, I have a nice vehicle, but outside of that, I don't, I don't wear watches. I don't have Rolexes. I wear the same snowboard clothes I wore when I was a pro snowboarder, like Volcom stuff. I wear hats instead of, you know, like trying to act like I used to when I was an advisor with the suit. I don't have someone to impress by the way I look, but the, the recent thing I did with the TEDx talk is I started, I said to my marketing team, I said, Hey, listen, I'm going to give you $5,000 a month of my own money. And all I want you to do is I want you to make sure more people watch this, this TEDx talk. Now that's not because I, I make money on the TEDx talk. It's just, I know that TEDx talk will help a father or a mother understand what they need to do for their children because of my letter that I wrote to my daughter and my wish by that $5,000. And, and, you know, again, by me having the extra tools, the money to do that, I then can help future generations turn the tide of financial slavery. And that is truly the world we live in. And I call it financial slavery very with, with a lot of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but conviction would be the word. I think we live in a world of financial slavery that we created for ourselves. And, and I'm trying to change that. But we, I'm 45, Amberly, like we're, you know, I know you're a little younger, I think, than me. No, right? I'm a lot older. Are you really? God, you look younger. Thank you. God I'm, bless you. I'm, I'm aging. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think just as we get older, like we have to realize that, you know, there's only so much we can do to change our generation. The real change we need to make is in the future generations. And that starts with our children and even the children that aren't born today. So we need to stop putting so much focus on us, 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 and what we have and what we need and and all the things we not. We need to start focusing on our children because like they're growing up in a really broken time where it's they crazy. need. Oh, it's insane. It's sick. And that's like one of the things like, so as I make more money, this just is the tool that allows me to help my vision of helping more children and more parents prepare their, their, their next generation for, you know, what's coming. And it's not going to be the same world we grew up in. It's not. Yeah. It's, uh, what I've noticed here, there's a restaurant. Um, I grew up where we live. I grew up about 30 miles from here. And there's this one restaurant that was the nicest restaurant within like an out, like a, well, 60 mile radius. It was great. Been there for over 30 years. They went out of business. They can't, keep help. They cannot keep workers working there. They said the kids made more money staying home, collecting unemployment or, and they just didn't want to work. And so it's this weird time where, and I have experienced that where I've hired some people to work and it was like, yeah, that's going to be $8,000 for me to, you know, run your social media. I'm like, Uh, I think I'll just run it myself. Um, So it's a very weird time. But, you know, my youngest daughter during COVID, she became a little entrepreneur. She wanted money to do a trip. And I said, 
figure out how to make it. And she started like uh, creating horse sculptures, repurposing horses, little briar statues, um, selling some of her old ones. She made a website and she was 12 years old. She started an Instagram handle and I was like shipping out more of her stuff than I was my own books. And I'm just like, wow, I'm so impressed. You know, she's like, okay, I need to make money. I need to figure out how to do it. And I think that that's important. Like you said earlier, we're like, instead of just giving your kids money, giving it, giving it, giving it, teach them how to earn it, teach them how to be curious about how to, what different ways they can. Cause if she was 12 and she could make money there, there's always something that you can do. It's just the people who know how to solve problems. She found her little niche audience, these horse crazy girls. And she's like, oh yeah, I can beat that person's price. I've got that horse. I can sell it to you. And to me, it's amazing. You know, when you can teach your kids to do that. Um, That's awesome. Now I'm trying to hire her to run my TikTok account for me. She has not (laughs) said yes yet, but she creates some amazing videos, but yeah, she's just doing it for her own stuff. But yeah, I think that's amazing. I wanted to ask you though, about this, be your own bank. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's simple. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's something I learned It's the most powerful thing I ever learned. You know, it was, uh, back in, I was an advisor from 2003 and I retired in 2018. And, uh, I remember the whole time I just learned traditional investing and, and 401ks and all that stuff. And then me and my wife, we got into, t- uh, into flipping houses and real estate because all my wealthiest clients were in that. And, one and of the what, guys year that borrowed, that, what year was this? What year was this? Oh gosh, my houses? first flip was 06 and then 07, 08, I almost went bankrupt. Uh, I was in a big development deal. And then 2009 to 14, I bought apartment buildings, almost went bankrupt again. And then in 14 is when me and Larissa really got serious. And, you know, I, uh, this whole time I was a, I was a pro snowboarder. I owned skateboard, snowboard shops that I sold in 2010. And then, you know, I was an advisor the, almost the entire time. And then we flipped and I just really had a passion for, you know, for doing real estate and I loved it. And that's what we went deep into. And that was in 2014 was the beginning of the journey. And today, like, I can't stand real estate for a lot of the reasons you really, I, I just, I'm the bank, you know, now I, I don't really flip any houses. My wife does a few a year just to, you know, just to have fun, but being your own bank started for me when I was sitting in a cheesecake factory in Salt Lake city with a very wealthy individual who I met at a mastermind. His name was Mike and, and he lent me money on my real estate. And I remember sitting there vividly and I remember asking him, because I was an advisor, I just was curious. I said, so how do you do this? How do you lend all this money? Thinking he would have just said the traditional ways. And he says to me, he says, well, I lend from my banking system. And I'm like, your banking system? I'm like, what do you mean? And, and I'm like, Mike, do you, do you own a bank? And like thinking like, Mike, do you, I didn't know you were that wealthy. You actually have a bank. And he says, no, 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 I, I, I just... I mimic what a bank does and I, and I created a banking system. And, and when I got into this whole conversation with him, I said, so what is it? Like, where do you put your money that this whole thing? Cause he's telling me all about it. It's guaranteed. It's, it's liquid. When I need money, I can get the money out immediately. It's protected against judgments. It, you know, I, when I take the money out, my money doesn't even leave my account. It's just, I'm borrowing money from the institution and, and I'm giving that money to you. So my money's still earning uninterrupted compound interest. And all this stuff is hitting me. Now, remember I'm an advisor up, I think it was 13 or 14 years at this point. I'm hearing all this stuff. I'm like, Oh, that's brilliant. My 
gosh, I'm like, what is this thing? I've never heard of this. Like I'm intrigued and I'm also embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because I'm like, how do I not know about this? If there's something this good, Mike, that has all this. And then he says it's tax-free. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm thinking this is way too good to be true. There's no way. This, it's got to be something. And then he tells me, and, and, and when I asked him, he says, I set up a specially designed and engineered whole life insurance policy. And then I apply a process called the infinite banking concept to that policy. And immediately, folks, what you got to understand is as an advisor, most advisors are taught one thing, buy term, invest the difference. We're going to buy the cheap life insurance. It's going to be around for 10, 20, 30 years for you. And then when that's gone, great, it's fine because I will have grown your assets so much you will be self-insured and you won't need that stupid expensive life insurance. You'll, you'll be self-insured. That never worked, but that's what we were taught. So when he said whole life insurance, that's the only thing I heard. I said, oh, Mike, they, they got you too, didn't they? Man, somebody told you that somebody told you a scam. There's no way. First off, Mike, you can't put money in a whole life and take the money out immediately in the first 30 days. And it doesn't work like this. And it doesn't work like that. The way it does this, I know I'm an advisor. And Mike leans into me and I'll never forget the look on his face, very stark and serious. And he says, Chris, if it doesn't work this way, how have I been doing it for all these years? And I just wow. sat back and I said, no way. I said, Mike, then teach me. I need to know this. My clients need to know this. And he says, I can't. I learned from this guy, Brent. So I couldn't get out of that cheesecake factory fast enough. I had forgotten about the deal he was lending on. I was supposed to pitch him on. And I'm just like, give me his number. Gave it. I paid the bill. We're out. I call him on the drive and I say, Brent, Brent, I got your number from Mike. He told me about this banking thing and this infinite something and banking something. Like I need to set this up. I, I'm an advisor. And he says, whoa, 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 Chris. Is this thank the you guy you wrote the book with? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's oh uh, Brent gosh. Kessler who's my, my mentor for the book that we wrote together, Mapping Out the Millionaire, all about what I'm telling you here. And, Wait, and, so uh, this book he says, has these answers? All these answers. And then there's oh, not only the gosh. book, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to read a book. It's too long. Great. I got a 90-minute video or a 10-part video series and about 100 videos on my YouTube that explain this concept. But I'm going to explain the concept in 30 seconds just as I finish this. But Brent made me the advisor, somebody that all this, watch a 90 minute video. And I didn't want to, cause I didn't have 90 minutes or at least I, I didn't. When I watched night, this 90 minute video, it literally unlocked one of the biggest secrets that all of you have been held from because you've been told lies. And, 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 and in this video, he, there was a quote by Will Rogers. And let me repeat this folks, grab your pens. The quote from Will Rogers said this, and it's one of the truest things I've ever heard. He said, the problem in America is not what people don't know. The problem in America is what people think that they know that just ain't so. This concept, which is pioneered by the late R. Nelson Nash in the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, this concept first-handedly changed my entire life. And I'm wow. not candy coating this, folks. It changed everything. It changed the way I did things. It changed my financial future. It still continue is 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 helped me build wealth amongst any. I never thought I could get to this point. And here's how simple it is. So, let me just kind of help you understand this. Now, remember earlier I gave you the laws of wealth, and we spent some time on that. But the first law was ten percent, and we said put it in that segregated bank account. Now, how many of you understand how a bank works? Right? You give the bank your money. The bank then what does what? Because they don't put it in the vault. They take your money and they lend it out and they make a spread. They pay you one, they charge six. That's a five point spread, right? That's all they do. Their money for the bank is always in motion. Mm -hmm. So when I learned this, the first fundamental thing was, is 
All we need to do to apply this one strategy to our life is change one thing. And that is where our savings goes first. So I'm holding some money for those of you just listening. Now, just imagine this. All I'm going to do is I'm going to change where the money I save goes first. I'm not going to leave it there. I'm just changing where it goes and sits first. And I'm going to put that money into a specially designed. Please put a lot of emphasis on specially designed and engineered because this is not the whole life that your brother-in-law tried selling you last week for the big old commission. This is specially designed. It's the way that the banks have designed it for hundreds of years. Look it up. It's called BOLI, B-O-L-I, bank-owned life insurance. So I put my money in the specially designed whole life. Now, what I'm supposed to do is apply act number two or lesson number two, right? Your money must work for you. So what does a bank do? Well, bank lends money. So the first thing I did with this is, is, is I was in debt and I was taught in this 90 minute video that the fastest way to create wealth is through your own debts and expenses. So let me, let me articulate that. How many of you have credit card debt? Okay. Almost all of you. And every single month you make a monthly payment to that credit card company, Visa Amex, and, and they charge you interest. And what's the interest rate? Did you statement? 20, 29, is it 30%? It's high. Oh, okay. I, I every, do every not month, have credit card debt. Oh, thank God. And I knew you didn't. I knew you were past this, but I'm just trying to give yeah, your audience yeah, because a simple that way to look at this. just freaks me out. That's like just- it's the worst thing you can have right now. Yes. I have never, I pay it off every month, knock on wood, but yeah, because it's just, they make so much money. The interest rates are crazy. So like when, for your audience, for any of them that do have credit cards and like, I do, I hate to admit it, you know, I, you know, I, I do. Okay. Well, so did I. So when I first started this, I changed where my measly little savings went. I didn't have a lot to save back then. And then what I did is I was taught to then put all my credit card debts and all my debts from lowest balance to highest balance. And then all I did is I put money into the designed whole life. And I immediately within the first 30 days would take the money out. Okay. When, when I had money built up, okay. I would take that money out and I would then pay off the credit cards. Now, when I take the money out of the specially designed whole life, let me, let me hit you with a, a left hook here. I'm not taking my own money. That's right. So let's let's just put dollars to this. Let's say I take a thousand dollars of savings wow. and I put it into this specially designed whole life, right? I'm just using small amounts. We can add zeros if you want. I got a thousand dollars in there. Now the insurance company in a contract gives me a guaranteed interest rate. And that guaranteed interest rate by today's you know standards is going to be two to three point two five percent guaranteed for the rest of your life. So I got my money earning 3.25. Plus, these are mutually owned insurance companies. So they pay a dividend every year. So with dividends, I'm making 6% on my money. I just want you to remember that. Interest wow. plus dividend, 6% on my money. Tax-free, okay? Because it is a life insurance policy. But now, because the way it was designed, I have the ability to take a portion of that money out, anywhere between 60 and 90%. So remember, I put I put 1,000 in, and now let's just say I have a credit card and I, my lowest balance one is 800 bucks. Just go with it. So I have a thousand, but I have a credit card that has a balance of 800 and I pay 50 bucks a month. So let's do the math. I then take a loan from the insurance company for $800. I got $800 in my hand and I pay off Visa. Now let's just do a recap. I started with a thousand dollars in my policy. I took a loan out for 800. How much is left in my policy? Amberly, what do you think? Put a thousand in, took eight hundred out. What's left? Right. We now. got a thousand. We took eight hundred out. So most people would say there's two hundred left in my policy, but they're wrong. There's still because a thousand the... left in my policy. Because oh, the, the... I didn't get that. There's yeah, still a so thousand. Still a thousand. 
the money that I put in and the, my thousand in cash value, there's still a thousand in there, even though I took 800 of it out and I paid off Visa, one of those lowest, the credit cards that I had. Now, people are like, that can't be, it's not, re it's not real. It's, it sounds too good to be true. Well, it's not. The insurance company promised you not only a guaranteed interest rate, but they also promised to pay a death benefit someday when you graduate and go on to heaven. Okay. So what the insurance company doesn't tell you is that they will give you the ability to use your death benefit anytime you want before you die, as long as it's up to the amount of cash value that you have saved. So if I saved a thousand, the insurance company will advance me part of my death benefit while I'm living in the form you of a loan. So essentially, kidding. no, I'm just leveraging my death benefit. So that $800 that I took out was just my death benefit being advanced to me. Now they do charge me interest on that death benefit. Okay. So if they give me a loan for 800, they might charge me between four and 5%. And, and that, that rate might change depending on when you listen to this, but just do the math. If I'm making 6% on my money and I'm taking it out at, let's just use 5%. We'll cut it in the middle 5%. What am I doing? I'm making a spread. Remember what a bank does? A bank gives yeah. you one and charges five. They make a spread. I'm doing the same thing a bank does, but you see, now I've got $1,000 still earning interest and dividends uninterrupted while I had 800 to use to pay off that credit card. So here's where the kicker comes in. If you are going to be your own bank, BYOB is what we call it. This is the most important part. You have to be an honest banker. This is your banking system. You better treat it the same way you treat their money. So if I took a loan from my bank for 800, well, then I should try to pay that loan back. But when I paid off Visa, I didn't forget that I used to give Visa interest and I paid them 50 bucks a month. So now all I'm going to do is I'm going to add an additional step. I'm going to go into my bank account that I just paid off Visa from, and I'm going to, I'm going to set up a bill pay for the exact same amount that I used to pay Visa, 50 bucks, 20% interest. And I'm just going to change the name on the check. Instead of writing Visa, I'm going to write Chris Noggle or put your name in there, folks. Just put your name in. And then every month, 50 bucks is automatically going to be sent back to my policy as a loan repayment. So what I just did is draw a circle, folks. The money started on the left side of the circle in that specially designed whole life. That was that one change I made with where my money went. I then had the ability to use the money. So around the top part of the circle, I took a loan. I put a thousand in. I took a loan for 800 out. I paid off Visa. I used to give Visa $50 a month. This is not new money. I don't have to work harder, longer, or take on any risk to do this. This is just money wow. I used to save and money I used to give away. I take 50 bucks that I used to give Visa, and I then deposit that 50 bucks back in my bank, which is that specially designed whole life as a loan repayment. So now how much money do I have every single month? 50 extra dollars on top of the amount that I'm saving. The whole time I did this, I made a spread. And every single year I do this for whatever, whether I use it to pay off debt, buy cars, lend money out on real estate, buy real estate, invest in the stock market or crypto or whatever it is you do that you know, like, and understand, my money continuously and forever earns uninterrupted compound interest. So every year, my spread gets bigger and wow. bigger and bigger, and you don't have to do anything. It is simple mathematics. That is unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, and this is what I learned, folks. And oh, all my, my book, gosh. my videos, I'll teach this, but it's so simple, but yet so foreign to everything you've ever been taught about money. It because is. what I just taught you in whatever five minutes that that took, I literally taught you what the wealthy do with money. I taught you to be in full control of all of your money. So if you apply the six laws of wealth, but you apply them to this, 
You will always be in control of your money. You will always be making money on your money and your money will always be working for you forever. And all you had to do is change one thing and learn a system. And this is it. Oh my gosh, you are brilliant. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't come up with it. So don't give me too much credit. I just oh. found a really good way to teach this to thousands and thousands of clients. Yes. Uh, so it's mapping out the millionaire mystery. That's amazing. Yep. You have several books. Y'all check him out. Tell us the best place where you want people to learn from you. Is it YouTube or should they just go to your website? Tell us where to where people yeah, can yeah, find I'm all of super, your info. I'm really easy to find. You just you just go in Google and just type my name, but put the Chris Noggle in front of it. That'll pull up all my social channels. YouTube's the best. I spend the most amount of time and energy doing that. Or to keep it simple, just go to chrisnoggle.com. Immediately, a 90-minute video will pop up. You'll remember I watched the 90-minute video mm -hmm. that Brent made many, many years ago. It changed my life. Watch that video, and then you can book a call, and we can answer questions. But YouTube is single-handedly the best place. And people that like the short-form content, my Instagram, I put stuff up. I, I do about 100 posts a day. It's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but- Wait you know, a minute, you're not wait gonna... a minute. You do 100 posts yeah, a it's, day? It's insane. Are you we, kidding? We, no, I mean, what you got to understand is over the years, I've- I've, I've hired my own video crew, my own editors, and, and I've got two studios and all I do like all morning, all we did is create content. We come up with these scripts, these really fun ideas, these things like today I taught people, you know, that haven't received a lump sum of money or an inheritance. Cause we are in the largest wealth transfer in history. So if they get a chunk of money, they don't know what to do with that. I showed them how to apply and use that money the same way the wealthy would use that money. And I make content every day and then we cut it up and we put it on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And yeah, it works out to be about a hundred posts every single day. But I, I film usually two, sometimes three days a week and we make lots of amazing stuff and, and it costs a lot of money to do that. So remember you were talking about giving, I mean, just, I'll be transparent. I spent about $22,000 a month just to create content. And I believe it because I and none of it sells like it's not selling content. It's just content to help people learn. And mm -hmm. yes, I make a little bit of money from YouTube every month, but it's nowhere near 20 some thousand. But all that giving comes back because people watch it. It changes their life. They tell other people and then they book calls with us and then we help them set these banking systems up and these specially designed whole lives up. And this is an important thing. When people think of whole life, they think of it as a high commission product. In order for you to have access to your money immediately in the first 30 days, that requires me or anyone on my team to reduce our commission by 60 to 90%, depending on how we design it. So we're giving up 60 to 90% of our commission so that you have 60 to 90% more money to use immediately in the first 30 days. I mean, it's the ultimate if you get. And because we do that, we help thousands of people do this. And our competitors, the other advisors and agents out there that could do this, when they learn that they got to give up 90% of their income to do it the way we do it, they're like, I can't afford to live on that. But what we found out is we found the way to scale this. And the more people we help solve problems, the more money we make. I have become a professional picker-upper of pennies and nickels. I just do it at a mass scale. Oh, you're amazing. Seriously. <laughs> I can't wait for my husband to hear this too. This episode. Oh, it's, so it's yes, fun. it's so fun. I, and after this, I'm going to go Google your Ted talk. I can't believe I missed your TEDx talk. So I'm going to go watch that. So y'all the, 
all his information. If you're driving or you're out running or you're at the gym and you didn't write it down, don't worry. There, all his links are in the show notes, so you can find the Chris Noggle <laughs> and go watch his videos. But oh my goodness, Chris, thank you so much. This conversation was like mind blowing, life changing. I just appreciate you being on the show and. I know all the listeners have taken notes and really appreciate it too. So yeah, y'all watch the 90 minute video and book a call with him as well. So thank you so much for being, thank y'all for tuning in to True Grit and Grace and, and being here to listen. And uh, Chris, it's so good to see you. I hope I get to, wow. I hope I get to share the stage with you again sometime soon. I hope so. I Well, I hope so. Maybe at Secret Knock or somewhere. Our paths will cross. I mean, everybody in these offices here, they all love you. They love what you stand for and what you do. So we will continue to just keep crossing paths. That's just, that's how the universe works. Oh, well, thank you. I know I'm going to miss secret knock this year. I'm having surgery like right around the same time. Greg asked me to speak. Are you going to be there? I will. Yeah. I'm one of the headline keynotes this year. Oh, you're amazing. I will miss you. I know it. our paths will cross another time. 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. 